How often have you felt restricted to spiritual practices that seem outdated and of little relevance in today's world? Are you discouraged to express your own creative talents and develop spiritual practices that are uniquely you? The Liturgical Rebels podcast is for people just like you who want to reimagine and reconstruct their faith and spiritual practices. It's for those who want to reshape belief and journey closer to God's wholeness with peace, justice and flourishing, not just for themselves, but for the earth and all its inhabitants. In this inaugural episode, Christine Sine and Forrest Inslee discuss what it means to be a liturgical rebel and why it matters. They discuss how we enhance our faith by connecting to the God revealed in nature, in creativity, and the everyday acts of life. They encourage us to explore our own pathways to discover spiritual expressions that resonate in our souls, strengthen our faith, and nourish our spirits. Welcome to the Liturgical Rebels podcast. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Liturgical Rebels podcast. Today I have with me my good friend Forrest Inslee, who's the host of Earthkeepers podcast. And Forrest has been tremendous help to me in setting up this podcast. Together we will introduce you to the ideas behind the Liturgical Rebels, its goals and some of the guests I will be interviewing over the next few weeks. So welcome, Forrest, and thank you for your help with this. It's awesome to be with you. I'm excited for this project. Well, thank you. Do you want to start by just telling us a little about yourself? Sure. Um, I did some counting and realized that I have been a friend of yours for 18 years now. Can you believe that? Amazing. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've known you for 18 years and primarily it was through the community at uh, your intentional community, Master Seed House, um, but also in working, uh, volunteering with you for many years with Mustard Seed Associates, um, which I'll note, uh, eventually uh, became Circlewood, which eventually launched my podcast, The Earthkeepers. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a podcast for Circlewood, a podcaster, but also uh, I'm the associate director. So I'm also involved in different uh, educational and advocacy initiatives uh, that we do for the environment. Wonderful. Well, Forrest, I didn't realize it was 18 years, but I knew it was quite a while. And I know how you've helped me, particularly in the last few years, to shape some of my approach to spirituality and some of what we'll be talking about here. Um, Just to introduce myself a little bit more, I am an Australian physician, uh, trained in Australia, then practiced in New Zealand, and then in 1980 joined uh what was then part of Youth with a Mission and has now become Mercy Ships. And I was involved with the ships for 12 years, headed up the Mercy Ships program in the early days, the the medical side of the Mercy Ships program, and actually developed the uh, medical program that has now, of course, become the mainstay of Mercy Ships. Um, then Tom and I were married 30, almost 32 years ago now. And when we were married, obviously, I gave up mercy ships. And I also decided to give up medical practice. 
partly because I had a growing interest in spirituality and a more kind of uh, diverse approach to spirituality. Some of the um, experiences I had 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 me really questioning uh, the way that I'd been taught to practice my faith and I wanted to uh, explore other ways of practicing my Christian faith. And so um, I started writing and I also uh, took over Mustard Seed Associates and um, uh, the land that we had out on Camino Island, which has now become Circlewood, and particularly was involved with um, facilitating some Celtic retreats that we did, actually 25 retreats over 25 years, one each year. And that was a great experience for me and in some ways I think was probably the uh, beginnings of my kind of exploration of uh, out-of-the-box spirituality that kind of made me into a liturgical rebel. So you obviously are involved in a lot of things these days, which are helping people, I think, to explore those things for themselves. You mentioned your writing, and in particular, I want to note the importance of your blog, Godspace, um, which I think influences many people and kind of helps them to experience a lot more freedom in their faith practices than they would otherwise. But given all that, given the things that you do, the ways that you teach and write for people, why a podcast now? Why does that make sense to you in the kind of bigger picture? Well, part of it is that I'm finding that much as I enjoy God's space, I don't always have the opportunity to both express myself some of the things that I'm um, thinking about and um, working on, but also it doesn't give me the opportunity to interact with some of the people that I have found are wonderful liturgical rebels and that I would like to introduce other people to a lot more as well. Um, I'm excited about this, partly because it's an ex it's an opportunity for me to keep exploring. Um, you know, I used to say, ask people the question, um, what makes you feel closer to God? And I would say that 10, 15 years ago, the two major answers I would get is something to do with nature and something to do with being together with kids. But I've noticed in the last five years or so, a, a growing number of people are talking about creativity. And I think that um, I would say now that the two major things that make people feel closer to God are some aspect of nature and some form of creativity. And I find that whereas I can use God's space to introduce people to some creative practices, I feel that a podcast is a much better way to do that at this point. Yeah, I think that what you're talking about takes on a special importance these days as so many people are struggling with um, perhaps past iterations or expression of their faith life and are really looking for ways to to find more more alive, more relevant, more engaging ways to practice their faith and to engage God. So from my point of view, this is very timely. I think that uh, people are, are probably hungry for a lot of what you hope to deliver in the podcast. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, one of the things I think that has concerned me over the last few years is I see a lot of people um, talking about deconstructing faith and a lot fewer people talking about reconstructing faith. You know, what do we want to hold on to? What do we need to reshape? What do we need to renew uh, and refocus sometimes as well? And that's really what I want to focus on in this because there are a lot of practitioners out there who have really developed ways to reconstruct faith uh, that don't look much like the traditional practices that we're used to. Uh, some of them have just kind of reshaped traditional practices. Others have developed totally new forms of practice. And it really is exciting to see um, the different approaches to Christian faith uh, and spiritual practices that um, are, are out there now and that I think that we need the opportunity to explore. It doesn't mean we have to grab hold of them all, but it gives us new opportunities. Um, and I think I, I really started to explore some of this, I think, in my book, The Gift of Wonder, uh, and, you know, introduced people to a lot of new possibilities in terms of spiritual practices. But um, I think that since I wrote that, it's almost five years ago now, uh, the other possibilities have, have just blossomed and mm -hmm. it's exciting to see there's something out there for everybody in terms of an approach to Christian spirituality, I feel. Yeah, I really want to uh, pick up on, on your balance that you noted between deconstruction and maybe reconstruction, because I do know that for many Christ followers, that is a point of worry. Like if I begin to question these practices, even the theologies that I've been taught for so many years, what does that then do to my faith? Where does that yes. leave me? And yeah. I think that's a scary place to be. And so people may uh, end up not bothering to do any kind of critique or deconstruction. But what you're saying is that all deconstruction leads to the end of reimagination of what could be. Exactly. And I think that I think that your word rebels I, I ties into this. And, and I'm curious why you use that term liturgical rebels and what does it mean for you and what should it mean for people who are first approaching the podcast? How do they read that? Well, actually, the term was first applied to me by another good friend, Paul Sparks, uh, who was one of the authors of um, The New Parish. And um, I was telling him about some of the practices that I was instituting for Advent because I'd said to him, I am totally bored with, um, with the traditional Advent reef. And so I was telling him about how I was reinventing Advent Reef for me as an Advent garden and the things that I was using. And he said, you're a liturgical rebel, you know, and it's kind of stuck in my mind. And I thought, yes, I am. I like uh, the foundations of the liturgy. You know, when I first discovered the liturgy, probably 25, 30 years ago now, it was like a breath of fresh air. Uh, I loved the church calendar. Uh, I didn't grow up with that and I just loved it and all that it brought to my faith. But maybe partly because I'm an experimenter, it kind of got to the point where I thought, ah, oh, I don't want to use only 
traditions or only practices that have been established for hundreds, if not thousands of years. I want to use practices that really connect me to the world that I live in now. Um, and that's when I really started getting into developing new kinds of practices, uh, sometimes drawing on the old practices. I still practice Advent and Lent and Christmas and, and, and these seasons, but I like things that really come or make me come to life uh, in ways that I sometimes find that the old traditions don't. So that's what I mean by a liturgical rebel. Um, part liturgy, part rebel, I suppose you could say. Why do you think people might hesitate to perhaps practice rebellion <laughs> as you are describing it? <laughs> what, what is it that makes people hesitant or afraid uh, in your experience? Uh, I think part of it is that churches, generally speaking, do not encourage creativity. Uh, in fact, some of them totally discourage creativity. In fact, I was reading something the other day uh, that evidently Augustine basically said that we don't need to be creative because God's done it all for us type of thing. And I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, I, I just that kind of really was a shame to, to hear that being said, because I think that part of who God has made us to be is to be creative. Um, we all like to be creative, you know, whether it be cooking or crafts or music or whatever. I think all of us are creative people in different ways. And so I think that um, uh, we need to tap into that creativity because I, I think it's one of the ways, uh, certainly for me, it's been one of the ways that draws me closer to God. When I'm creating something new, boy, I just felt that spark of God's presence in a way that nothing else has a tendency to do for me. I think that's really an important value that you're bringing out that underlies this podcast. You're not actually prescribing people a set of new ways to practice. No. It sounds like instead you're you're teaching people to generate new ways of practice. And they may try some of the things that you recommend, right? But it's all to the end of them being creative enough to, to create new faith practices, new ways of understanding that are relevant to their context, to their life, to their particular needs. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Yes, very definitely. In fact, nothing gives me more joy than to have people respond to what I've said and said, hey, look, this is what I did uh, as a result of that, you know. Um, and, and it's like, wow, I never would have thought of that. But something that I said sparked something in them that really meant that their creativity could emerge. And um, that is exactly what I want to see happen because I don't want people to say, oh, I need to follow your creativity. I want people to say, wow, just as God sparked creativity in her, I believe that God can spark creativity in me as well. And I think that is very important for us. So when you think about your future listeners, what is it that you hope they're going to take away from the podcast? And what can they expect, actually, as they listen to you and your guests um, from episode to episode? Well, first of all, I my hope is to introduce them to people who are creative. Um, and the place that I'm starting 
I know that um, over the Christmas season, many of us were impacted by Kelly Lattimore's um, icons. And, uh, you know, he did the the one that um, uh, Christ under the rubble, being born, the Holy Family under the rubble, just very, very powerful um, icon. And he has some others, uh, you know, the Holy Family in Tent City, uh, the Holy Family as a refugee and things like that, just helping us to kind of break outside our kind of perception of where Christ is being born in our world today. And, and I just love that. So he is going to be one of my first guests uh, on this podcast. And then another person that's really impacted me, or a couple of people, one of them is uh, a, a poet, um, Drew Jackson. He's a black poet, wonderful, has two books out, uh, Touch the Earth and God Comes Through Wombs. And I have just found this to be such a powerful kind of approach to, to stir uh, my connections to God uh, and I think for many other people as well. And um, he talks social justice but in a gentle way that kind of gets to your heart uh, without kind of making you kind of feel as though you're going to, t- you need to turn your back on what he's saying. And then the third person that many of us are probably familiar with is Scott Erickson. And he's an artist who, uh, a couple of years ago wrote an Advent book called Honest Advent and has several other books out as well. And I, I'm looking forward to talking to him about again, his, um, Approach because again, I see him. Uh, he's got the liturgy there. He does Advent, but boy, does he do it in a very powerful and different way. And so, there's some of my first guests. And so, what I'm hoping that people will take away from this is firstly a dissatisfaction <laughs> with same old, same old, uh, not creativity for the sake of creativity but creativity for the sake of helping us to draw closer to God and helping us to be strengthened in our spiritual practices. Um, so that's number one. And secondly, I'm hoping that people will be exposed so to some new forms of spirituality um, that might help them in their own process of reconstruction. Forrest, I think that you are one of the people who has inspired me to both be a liturgical rebel and who has seemed to be a liturgical rebel to me in some ways. So let me ask you a few questions. Firstly, what makes you feel close to God? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that the primary way that I engage God is through nature, which is pretty typical of people in the Pacific Northwest where we live, but I think just generally speaking, you'll find a lot of people that that really understand uh, that their spirituality, that their connection uh, to God happens uh, in, in great part through their experience of nature around them. My story, though, is kind of pretty typically evangelical in the sense that um, I was part of an evangelical church in Chicago where I did my undergrad and graduate studies. And um, at one point, I thought about moving from Chicago back to the Pacific Northwest, because I had this dream of helping to build churches that acknowledged and celebrated this approach to faith practice. And Mm -hmm. in my mind, it was a new idea, even though 
so many of my friends actually connected in the same ways that I did. But my pastor at the time said to me, uh, well, you know, God didn't die for the mountains and the trees. And that's typical, right, of the American yes. evangelical mindset, which prioritizes saving human souls and evangelism and really downplays the value of non-human creation. Uh, and I don't blame him. I probably would have said the same thing to someone else if they asked me, because I had been steeped in that that kind of evangelical dualism, really, that, that devalued um, the created world. So, you know, ironically... The next step for me was not to return to the Pacific Northwest, to be, but to become a missionary. So I did that for a number of years. Somewhere along the line, uh, I did seminary work and was exposed to the writing and teaching of uh, Peter and Miranda Harris, mm -hmm. who were founders of Arosha, which is a Christian conservation organization. And through them, I was exposed to the idea that God loved all of creation, that God's plan of redemption extended to all creation, both human and non-human. In other words, that God did die for the mountains and the trees. And that really kind of set me free. It freed up a part of me that uh, I had been suppressing. It freed me to believe what I inherently knew in my heart anyway. And I decided I really wanted to be part of that broader work of redemption that involved all creation. Um, eventually, I returned to the Pacific Northwest and found you and Tom, got involved in Mustard Seed Associates, and there's plenty of room in that context, obviously, for me to be that person I think God had called me to be. Uh, and so that, in turn, led to my getting involved um, with uh, the podcast uh, and with uh, the educational work that Circlewood does now. So, so yeah, I would say that that my story is one of being set free, not so much of rebellion, right? I didn't feel like I had a lot of permission to explore these ideas, which were kind of foreign to the evangelical context. Mm -hmm. But perhaps through the rebellious work of Peter and Miranda Harris, they helped me to understand uh, what was really true and to have a better theology about creation. Wonderful. What, tell me, tell us a little bit about the Earth Keepers podcast because I think, uh, you know, what I've gained from the Earth Keepers, Earth Keepers podcast is some of that thinking outside the box, mm -hmm. some of the uh, guests that you have on, as well as the work that Circle would do. So tell us a little more about that. Sure. The, the work of the podcast and of Circle would, in great part, is a reflection of my story. That is, Circlewood helps people who believe on some deep level that God is revealed in nature and that our work as Christ followers has to involve the work of creation care. So as an organization, as a podcast, uh, we seek really to affirm these impulses in people and to undo the work of the Western church uh, that has convinced them that this beautiful world we live in is just going to burn someday, <laughs> that nothing matters but saving souls for heaven uh, and that it has nothing to do with really the earth. So I see my work as helping to build a supportive community of like-minded earth keepers. Mm -hmm. And I think importantly, it's not that we're introducing a whole new idea to people, but more finding the people who already know this on some deep level, right? And so in some ways, the work of the podcast and of Circlewood is to set people free, mm -hmm. to believe what they already know and to affirm those beliefs. Um, you know, some of the deconstruction of the false beliefs when it comes to creation that we help to do is 
leading people to discover new understandings and new perspectives and really a healthy whole theology. And for that, we sometimes look to diverse traditions around the world. So we often go outside of, of the Western context to learn from other people who may have a different way of perceiving the world that can help us and inspire us to think differently. You know, for example, uh, we love exposing people to the beliefs and practices of indigenous people mm. uh, who can teach us things like how to love non-human members of creation as our relatives. Uh, and they give us language and practices that help us to understand that we're all members of one big family of creation. You know, at the same time, we hearken back to church history. And as you pointed out, the Celtic tradition yes. is a, a great resource for modern people to understand what a more nature-integrated, creation-integrated faith practice could look like. Because yes. in, in the Celtic Christian tradition, there was that valuation uh, of, of elements of creation, non-human elements being part of the world that that God made was good and was lovable and needed to be part of our work of redemption. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I have learned like you have been learning a lot from indigenous people. Um, and, uh, when I kind of started to realize that nature, uh, was a legitimate part of my spiritual observance and my spiritual mm -hmm. life, it, it, as it was for you, it was so liberating. Um, and I've seen that same kind of liberation happen as many other people discover, uh, you know, not just the beauty of nature but the practices uh, that can draw them closer to their Christian faith as yeah. they are in nature. Um, and, it's of course, it's, it's one very important form of spirituality. And I remember when I first started to get into, you know, kind of making connections between uh, spirituality and the garden at that point, and that was probably 15, 20 years ago, most of the books that I could find were written by Zen Buddhists. Hmm. You know, they were the ones that had connected <laughs> in terms of nature at that point in time, and that was a very helpful kind of foundation. It wasn't that I wanted to become a Zen Buddhist, uh, but there were some key lessons that, I learned from them that set me on the trajectory uh, to integrating nature into my Christian faith, and I'm very grateful for that. And, yeah, looking outside the Christian um, boundaries or acceptable boundaries, because even, you know, one of the things, one of the griefs from my childhood or my early Christian days, because like you, I was involved in the um, – evangelical side of the church was my aunt was a very strong Greek Orthodox Christian. And basically I learned to dismiss her as a follower of Christ. And it was only when I was in my 50s, I think, that I realized, you know, what an incredible follower of Christ she was um, and was able to kind of react to her in a way that kind of learnt from her faith rather than dismissing it. And, um, you know, again, I think that's something that we we all need to do is to think outside the boxes uh, in which we grew up. And well, you know, that, that's true for all of us. It is. And I, I, 
I can guarantee that some people listening to this podcast are getting squirmy as we say these things, right? (laughs) Because we have been taught to fear otherness. Yes. That that even the the some Christian traditions have taught against being open to the new, (laughs) considering that there could be value in the Zen Buddhist tradition, and and I think that really this work of of liturgical rebellion is also a work that requires courage. Mm-hmm. It's it's not for the faint of heart, <laughs> because I think we've been conditioned not to listen. We've been conditioned to draw boundaries and hold to them. What that's resulted in is a very static kind of faith. But uh, what you're advocating for is something much, much more alive, much more open, uh, much more teachable. Uh, but I think you're also advocating for a courageous heart to be able to do those things. I think you're right. I know when I first started stepping outside uh, the boxes, it was scary. Um, and I think that for some people, that's why when they do start to step outside, it's safer to deconstruct than to reconstruct because to step away from uh, can sometimes be a lot safer process than stepping towards something new uh, and still kind of claiming uh, something at the core, you know. And um, so I think that's at least my assessment of part of the reason that we see a lot of people deconstructing and being, but being afraid to reshape, reconstruct and renew uh, what's, what's there because it looks very different and it's scary because you lose friends in the, or you might lose friends in the process. And sometimes you, um, don't know where you fit for a long period of time too. But boy, the release that comes and the closeness to God that comes as well, I think makes it all well worthwhile. I think God wants us to break out of our boxes, uh, and wants all of us to become liturgical rebels, I think. Mm-hmm. I have a friend, Victoria Lewis, who was a founder of the Wild Church Movement, uh, which probably is just a term that makes people nervous too. <laughs> she calls herself, she has a great term, I love it. She says that she is called to be an edge walker. So yes. she walks along the edge of tradition and the edge of the new. Amen. Right? But she really, I think her her gift, her... Um, real strength is being able to allow people to walk alongside her on the mm-hmm. edge, right? Yes. She's not she's not standing outside tradition, standing outside the church saying, come follow me, but rather she's helping people to navigate that uh, uncertain space mm-hmm. um, that creativity uh, requires really to happen. Well, and that's what we want to do. That's what I want to do in the Liturgical Rebels co- podcast is to really enable people to walk on that edge uh, in different ways as well because I think that that is what it's about. I'm not encouraging people to give up their Christian faith. I'm encouraging them to strengthen their Christian faith by learning um, to be creative and to develop practices that are much more geared to life in the world in which we live today rather than you know, I mean, we know the world has changed a lot in the last 2,000 years, and we need to grab hold of things that, that help us go through the changes, I think. Mm-hmm. And to help create a church that is responsive to those changes in the world, right, rather than a church that hunkers down and draws the boundaries and uh, essentially 
becomes irrelevant over time. Yes. Yeah, I think that um, uh, encouraging creativity in people is something that uh, churches should all be involved in. Um, But, of course, the scary thing for churches is that when you allow people to be creative, they might find they no longer fit in your church. Uh, And so they want to do something new. And giving people permission to do that um, is courageous. And uh, it's it's challenging as well, or it can be quite challenging as well. So, but uh, yeah, but it's exciting. It's exciting, and I think that uh, this journey into uh, liturgical rebellion is an exciting one as well. So, um, thank you, thank you, Forrest, for helping me to introduce people to this new podcast. Uh, thank you for being one of my um encourages along the way to developing it as well and thank you for all of the things that you do um with earth keepers and with circlewood as well i very much appreciate it that's oh, been an honor thank you thanks in this inaugural episode of the liturgical rebels podcast i have been in conversation with forrest insley about what it means to be a liturgical rebel and how you too can burst out of the confines of traditional practices to discover new ways to express your faith. For more information about Forrest, be sure to check out the show notes at godspacelight.com slash podcast or visit Forrest at earthkeepers.online or circlewood.online. I am Christine Sign, author of The Gift of Wonder and facilitator of the God Space Light website. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to hit like, subscribe to the podcast, or follow me on Instagram and Facebook. In the next episode, I will chat to Drew Jackson, whose fantastic poetry is part protest, part biblical commentary. He provides a fresh perspective on the gospel story as he weaves the biblical narrative with contemporary issues of justice, lament, and hope. A real liturgical rebel, if ever I met one.